the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. If, on the other hand, your view of death is that God has prepared a place for us, that this is not the end, that death is not fatal, because death is simply a transition for a believer to move from this life into eternity, well then you live your life with a whole different perspective. And, and you live your life with heaven in mind while still having one eye on the earthly reality. So it's kind of one eye on the present and one eye on the promise. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Ecclesiastes. The importance of living life with Jesus as our center is especially made relevant with the acknowledgement of heaven as our final destination. It makes it clear to us that our time here is short and best spent preparing ourselves and others for the trek to heaven. Pastor Gary challenges us to live like people who are headed to an eternity with God. If you are still living life here as though this is as good as it gets, it's now time to realize that heaven is as good as it gets. The future which awaits us there will be great beyond imagination. Well, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7 with part one of his message, The Destiny of Eternity. So I'm going to read the first two verses from chapter 7, and then we'll jump to chapter 9. Ecclesiastes 7, Solomon writing here, verse 1, he says, A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of every man. The living should take this to heart. All right, go to chapter 9 for some more cheerful words. <laughs> chapter 9, I'll read the first four verses. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so it is with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. 
Anyone who was among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. In these chapters between Ecclesiastes 7 through 9, uh, Solomon uses a particular word, and it's used in the NIV that I'm reading from, uh, but it's, it's the word destiny. He uses it three times between chapter 7 and 9. Uh, in some of your other translations, New King James and ESV, it doesn't use the word destiny. It uses the word event, that in those translations it talks about how there is event common to man, and so NIV opts for the English word destiny. There's a final destiny for all people. That's the word that, that Solomon uses here. Now, in the NIV, in the English translation, the NIV, uh, the word destiny is used only seven times in the whole Bible, and three out of the seven times are found right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and 9. So here again, I'm just going to throw the verses up on the screen for you that we read a moment ago. From chapter 7, verse 2, he says, For death is the destiny of every man. And then from chapter 9, verses 2 and 3, we see it a couple more times where he says, All share a common destiny. This is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. Now, when Solomon uses the word destiny, he doesn't mean it in some motivational way, which is how the word is often used today. A lot of, a lot of uh, posters and, you know, placards and signs are made talking about destiny as, you know, some ultimate arrival in, in your life. You know, um, despite all odds, you can reach, you can climb, you can achieve your ultimate destiny. You know, that kind of a thing. And most of us have at least heard the phrase that, you know, you have a date with destiny, uh, it, it's, it's become a real glamorized word. Uh, it's been really dressed up in our culture, and destiny is used in kind of a sexy way now in our world. Uh, I remember watching actually just a recent interview following this, this year's Winter Olympics, uh, an interview that ESPN did with Jamie Anderson. She is the uh, woman skier. Uh, freeboard, and she won a gold medal in 2018, won a gold medal in uh, 2014 as well, first woman to win back-to-back gold medals. And she was asked in this interview by ESPN, uh, what do you attribute your success to? Her answer, I just fulfilled my destiny. So it's become kind of a catchword. You know, it's almost like uh, certain things are, are just already marked out for you, whether you like it or not. It's kind of your ultimate destiny. Reach for, achieve your destiny. I, I read this quote by uh, motivational guru uh, T- Tony Robbins, and he said, quote, it is your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. In your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Well, that, that'll sell a lot more books than if you were to say, it is in the moments of your decisions that death is shaped. But that's the, the way that Solomon means the word destiny uh, when he uses it here in chapters 7 and 9. He speaks of destiny as the end game. There's nothing motivational about this term in the book of Ecclesiastes. When Solomon talks about, you know, you're going to come to your destiny, he doesn't mean, hey, this fantastic, you know, uh, ultimate arrival in your life He means it as a really depressing day when you're going to die. And so he talks about destiny as the final destination, as like an end game. That death is going to be common to all people, and and then one day we just are going to all experience it. Which is why he's somewhat disillusioned with life, 
Because when a person thinks of death as the final, ultimate destination, then you just end up looking at life and thinking to yourself, well, then what's the point of all this since we're all going to die? Since everybody's going to die anyway, then what's the point? Now, let me just illustrate to you how Solomon has been processing that question, what's the point since we're all going to die, on different levels by doing a quick survey of some of the book here of Ecclesiastes. If you go back in your Bibles to chapter 2, if you go backwards to chapter 2, I want to just point out how Solomon's wrestling with this in different ways, on different levels throughout this book. Again, the idea that if, if we're all just going to die anyway... If that's our destiny, then what's the point? So here in chapter 2, notice with me verses 15 and 16. Solomon says in verse 15, Then I thought in my heart, the fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said in my heart, this too is meaningless. For the wise man, like the fool, will not be long remembered. In days to come, both will be forgotten. Like the fool, the wise man too must die. So in in this section here in Ecclesiastes 2, verses 15 and 16, Solomon is basically asking, what's the point in being wise? Why should I strive to get wisdom when at the end of the day, I'm going to die just like the fool? So I'm no no better off because I'm just going to end up ultimately dying like the fool. Why should I be wise? There still in chapter 2, look further down to verse 18. He he asks it from another angle. He says in verse 18, I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. So the first question he asked was, what's the point of being wise if I'm going to die a death like a fool? Now he's asking, what's the point of being wealthy if I'm going to die and leave all my money to somebody else? Yeah, and and they, might, they might not be a wise person. They might be a fool. They're going to squander everything I've worked so hard for all my life. What's the point? Let me show, show you another angle that he asks the question from. Go to chapter 3. In chapter 3, verse 19, he says, Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All have the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is meaningless. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. So now he's asking, What's, what's the point in even being human if we're all going to die like the animals? He's like, you know, I don't, I don't understand. What's the point in being wise? I'm going to die like the fools. What's the point in being wealthy? I'm going to die like the poor. What's the point in being a human? I'm going to die like a dog. I mean, everybody ends up dust returning to dust. So what's the point? And then finally, go back to where we started in chapter 9. I'll read again verses we started out with to show you another angle that he's coming from in chapter 9 verse 2 he says all share a common destiny the righteous and the wicked the good and the bad the clean and the unclean those who offer sacrifices and those who do not as it is with the good man so with the sinner as it is with those who take oaths so with those who are afraid to take them so now he's wrestling with good versus bad the righteous versus the wicked And so now his question is, what's the point of even being a good person if I'm going to die just like the wicked do? 
So on all these different levels, he's wrestling with life because Solomon is not in a good place in his life at this particular time. He is, he is not following after God. He's aware of God, but he's not surrendered to God. He's living life his own way. Wisest man who ever lived up to this point. Wealthiest man, most powerful man, third king of Israel. He's tried everything, the four W's. He's tried wine, women, wealth, and work. He's tried pleasure, sex, He's, he's tried success, he's tried material things, and every single thing has proved to be empty to him, futile. That's why he uses the word meaningless here, the Hebrew word hevel, which means mist, vapor, smoke. So much of life, he says, is hard to grasp, and, it, and it's fleeting, and I, don't, I can't make sense of it. You know, why should I strive to be wise? I'm going to die like a fool. Why should I strive to be you know, wealthy and have all these material things? I'm going to die like a poor man and leave all my stuff to somebody else after me. You know, why should I strive to be righteous, to be good, because I'm going to die just like... The, the unrighteous. Why, why is it any advantage to even be a human being? I'm going to die like the animals. So this is, he's wrestling with all of this throughout this book here. Now, there is, there is an element of truth to all these different questions that he's asking here. Because the fact of the matter is that the wise and the unwise alike die. The righteous and the unrighteous alike die. Human beings and animals alike die. The rich and the poor alike die. Death is common to all. Death is no respecter of persons. We all die. And in that sense, Solomon is right here in his observation. But where Solomon goes wrong is the way he thinks about death. The way that you think about death has absolutely everything to do with how you live your life. Your view of death will ultimately control how you live life. If your view of death is that it's the end game, it's what follows the two-minute warning, and then you're completely done, it's over, well, then your idea of life is, I'm going to live it to its fullest, I'm going to have as much fun, I'm going to be as carefree and reckless, I'm going to experiment with this, experiment with that, I'm going to try and fulfillment in this, I'm going to try fulfillment in that, because I'm going to die. So, you know, it's just kind of a race to just enjoy as much as I possibly can, often to our own detriment, because I got to get in all this fun, excitement, experience, and worldliness, because I'm going to die. You see, your view of death, if that's your view of death, it will control the way that you live. But if, on the other hand, your view of death is that God has prepared a place for us, that this is not the end, that death is not fatal... Because death is simply a transition for a believer to move from this life into eternity. Well, then you live your life with a whole different perspective. And, and you live your life with heaven in mind while still having one eye on the earthly reality. So it's kind of one eye on the present and one eye on the promise. But how you view death will absolutely control how you live your life. And Solomon's view of death was, it's the end game. It's time out, time over. And instead of seeing death as the great equalizer, what Solomon saw death as was the great thief. He said, death is going to rob me of all the enjoyment and rewards of everything I've worked so hard for. Because at the end of the day, it's all going to be over. I'm going to give all my stuff to somebody else who comes after me. I won't even be here, so I can't even enjoy it, and, and, I, and I can't even really uh, experience the fulfillment of all that I worked so hard for. 
And this is where he goes wrong in his view of death. Solomon basically has concluded, okay, if life is just about, you know, growing up, going to school, getting a job, uh, earning a lot of money, getting married, having some kids, saving for retirement, growing old, until one day they put you in a pine box and they paint you up like a circus clown, well, then this is pretty cruel. That's the way he looks at it. He goes, this is pretty cruel. Life is pretty cruel. And if that's your perspective, then yes, life is pretty cruel. If all you have is to live for this life, then yes, it seems like a cruel joke. But what if, what if death is not the end? What if there actually is life after death? What if there's more to life than just the here and now? What if God has prepared something unimaginable for us that is literally out of this world? Because he has. This is why Paul will write in 1 Corinthians 2, 9, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for those who love him. What if God has actually prepared something so fantastic, incredible, and eternal for us that it would motivate us in a right way how to live our lives now so that we can experience eternity later? This is why Paul will also write in, later on in, First Corinth, in, uh, sorry, in Romans chapter 8 how we groan while we wait for our adoption as sons and daughters. We groan, there is this agony in the wait, but we must be patient for all that God has promised for us. So Solomon understands that there is eternity that God has placed in the heart of man, but he has lost sight of it himself. You don't need to turn in your Bibles, but back in chapter 3, verse 11, Solomon says that God makes everything beautiful in its time. And that God has set eternity in the hearts of man, but we cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to the end. God has set eternity in the hearts of man. Solomon admits that there is this longing in our hearts for something greater than ourselves, that there's something in our hearts that longs for something more than what this life offers. That's eternity set in our hearts. But instead, sadly for Solomon, instead of pursuing the longing to the ultimate source, which is God, he ends up pursuing instead things that he thinks will satisfy this deep longing. Again, the wine, women, wealth, and work, which ends up proving to be quite unsatisfactory in his life. So he denies God's rightful place in his life. And he resigns himself to the idea, well, I might as well have as good a time as I possibly can because it's all going to come to an end. Listen, for a person who does not know God, and that's where Solomon is at this time in his life, he's not walking with the Lord. For someone who does not know God, this life is as good as it gets. This life is as good as it gets. And I don't, I don't say this to patronize anybody, but I say this with all sincerity. You know, when, when I see people who are really sold out to the party scene, I think to myself, that's as good as life gets for them. And how sad is that? That's as good as life gets for them. But see, for a believer, this life is as bad as it gets. For a believer, it's just the opposite. This life, this world is as bad as it gets. 
and that when we die, we step into eternity. It's just a change of address. But friends, for the believer, we're moving on up to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky. Okay, the ultimate reward that God has purchased for us, that we might be with him forever and ever and ever. So this world for a Christian is as bad as it gets. For those who don't know Christ and have no hope beyond the grave, this world is as good as it gets. But there's much more than what this life has to offer. That's why Paul would write in Romans chapter 8, I consider my present sufferings not worth comparing to the glory that awaits me in Christ Jesus. Because he knew that there's something far better that outweighs all of this mess. So we persevere. We live as aliens and strangers in the world, as the Bible teaches. We will feel sometimes oddly out of place, because this is not our ultimate home. Our ultimate home is in heaven. Our, Our citizenship is in heaven. But we make the best of it. We enjoy life. We are salt and light in our world. We want as many people to know the love and the forgiveness of Jesus that we've come to experience and understand. That becomes our mission to influence the world so that the world won't influence us, but that we would spread the good news of Christ and the love of Jesus wherever we go because we want as many people to go to heaven with us. And so this becomes the ambition and desire of every Christian living out your life in this world. Now, again, it's this concept of, as a Christian, I'm going to keep one eye on the present and one eye on the promise. I'm going to live my life to the fullest on earth. That's the present. One eye on the present. But I'm going to have one eye on the promise because that shapes my ultimate perspective on how I live my life here. Despite the fact that Solomon had lost perspective of the promise, he was all about the horizontal. He was all about finding fulfillment here, which ended up being a miserable disappointment. Despite that, he gives us actually some pretty good insightful truths in chapter 9. So if you'll look again here at chapter 9, if you have your Bible still open there, I just want to share with you three things that he has pointed out to us that I think are good reminders about the present. The present. We're going to keep one eye on the present, one eye on the promise. The first thing that Solomon says here in chapter 9 is that life is in God's hands. Uh, Look at verse 1. He says, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. Underline that in your Bibles or highlight it. That life is in God's hands. Isn't that comforting? That's a good reminder for us. It's a good reminder that when life seems to be drifting off course, that God has a grip on the helm of my life. And that when the waters seem really choppy and rough, God has a good grip on the helm of my life. And then when it seems that, you know, I'm just kind of drifting forever and always at sea, can't even see land, that in, in this patient endurance of life, God's got a grip on the helm of my life. David would write in Psalm 31 verse 15, my times are in your hands, Lord. It's a very surrendered thing. Psalm 31, 15, my times are in your hand. God holds us in the palm of his hand and he cares for us and he comforts us and we need to trust him. We need to rest in that knowledge that our life is in God's hands. God would say through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 41, 10, so do not fear for I am with you. Do not be dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. 
Though the book of Ecclesiastes views the world through human eyes, the authority of God cannot be denied. True, the world is in chaos, but God is still in control. There is hate, but there's also love. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, we can continue to strive to offer hope to the people around us. Today, we pray you've been encouraged in your faith. We'd love to pray for you as well. So give us a call at 703-771-1500. Be sure to join Pastor Gary next time to continue studying verse by verse through this Old Testament book. But in the meantime, you'll be able to listen to Cornerstone Connection on our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find a link to our mobile app. Take Pastor Gary's teachings with you on the go and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can even send us prayer requests or join us live for our weekly services at Cornerstone Chapel. Find a link to our app under the Teachings tab at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Our time with you is quickly drawing to a close today. We're so glad you tuned in for Pastor Gary's teaching in the book of Ecclesiastes. Join us next time to dive back into God's Word right here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go but still you know, still you know you're, not you're not alone. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Hope is an open door, jump in and you'll find the cornerstones. Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.